An honorable profession is brought to you by OpenCounter.com. OpenCounter builds tools for local governments to deliver permits and licenses online. Their portals make complex permitting simple, which lowers transaction costs, increases transparency, and empowers economic development. OpenCounter is a vital tool for communities big and small across the nation, including Atlanta, Charlotte, Oakland, Indianapolis, and San Diego. Check out OpenCounter.com to see what they can do for your community. If you like an honorable profession, I encourage you to check out another great podcast that's out to give you hope in an often hopeless world. Dastardly Cleverness in the Service of Good. Each episode, my friend Spencer Critchley talks to people who are making tremendous positive impacts on our world. The conversations are funny, engaging, and hopeful. Listen to Dastardly Cleverness on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Welcome to An Honorable Profession, a podcast giving America hope since 2018. I'm your host, Brian Coonerty. An Honorable Profession is a New Deal Leaders podcast. The New Deal is an organization that supports some of the most thoughtful and innovative voices in American politics. I've been a member of New Deal for years, both when I was mayor of Santa Cruz and now as chair of the Santa Cruz County Board of Supervisors. Check out some of our past episodes with guests like Mayor Pete, Wisconsin Lieutenant Governor Mandela Barnes, candidate for U.S. Senate Amanda Edwards, and more than a dozen amazing leaders at the state and local level. You can find us at newdealleaders.org or wherever podcasts are found. And if you like what you hear, please tell your friends. We're trying to bring sanity to politics in an insane era. We need all the help we can get. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. Today, I'm talking with Nebraska State Senator Kate Bowles. She's just announced that she's running to flip Nebraska's first congressional district. Kate has a long record as a leader in healthcare and education and supporting the family businesses and farms in her district. We talk about the unique aspects of Nebraska's unicameral legislature, how the trade war is impacting her community, and how she wants to change how business is done in Washington, D.C. Listen to hear why we need people like Kate in our state houses and in Congress. Kate Bowles, welcome to An Honorable Profession. Thank you. It's really exciting to talk to you because uh, not only have you been a tremendous leader in the uh, Nebraska unicameral legislature, which I want to talk more about, but you just announced your run for Nebraska's first district uh, as a member of Congress, and you're taking on an eight-term incumbent. So uh, tell, me about, tell me about that race and why you decided to jump in. Well, I was born and raised in, in rural eastern Nebraska, and the idea of representing both my hometown and the uh, community of Lincoln, which I currently represent, is very exciting to me. I think Nebraskans are fed up with Washington. I don't think that we believe our interests are being well represented, and I think it's time that a uh, member of Congress from Nebraska who really listens and cares um, and understands the people of the state um, heads up to the hill. So I was really inspired by two issues. Uh, one is access to health care, and the other is trade. Uh, as a social worker and as a member of a farm family, those things hit close to home for me and for members of my community. 
And yeah, I mean, tell me, I, I, I can very much imagine that folks in Nebraska and everywhere across this country are fed up with how things are going in Washington. Beyond the, the issues, how do you think you can address that from a, uh, from a culture point of view or from a values point of view to, to realign Washington back with the American people? That's a, it's a great question. Um, I think the place to start is the place we will start, and that is by listening to Nebraska voters. We will launch a listening tour across the district um, mid-November, and I think really sitting down with Nebraska voters, looking them in the eye and listening to what they have to say is, is where we have to start. I don't think that most people wake up in the morning thinking about whether they're a Republican, a Democrat, or an Independent. I think most people wake up in the morning thinking about getting their kids to school and paying their bills and um, and doing a good job at work. And so how do we translate the experiences of real people and the worries and concerns of real people um, to the work in Washington, D.C., which I think is really where, as legislators, we have common ground. Um, we may have different political philosophies, but the the concerns and the lives of our constituents um, are, are shared issues, whether you're in Nebraska, Nevada, or New York. Absolutely. And as you're out talking to people, um, are you finding, are, are, do people still believe in the possibility of a, of a well-functioning Congress or um, or has cynicism crept in? <laughs> I think as a candidate, it's my job to help people have faith in democracy again. Um, and some of that comes by um, being a good legislator, which I think I have been over the last eight years, uh, keeping your word, um, following through on your promises, working across the aisle, and really staying focused on getting things done is what I think um, the the public needs to believe in again and understand is still happening. And so, you know, part of this work, I think, is telling our story of how the Nebraska Unicameral is successful. Um, for example, I've been part of passing seven bipartisan balanced budgets over my tenure um, as a state senator. Um, people need to understand that that is still something that happens and that's still something that's possible. More than that, um, I have people across the aisle that I'm proud to call friends. And, and um, I think some of that storytelling and making it personal is, is part of what we can do to gain the, the public's um, faith and respect for democracy again. So let's, let's, let's dork out on the unicameral legislature uh, for a second here and get, give us all an overview of how politics works in Nebraska that may be different than um, than what they see in their home states? Thank you for asking that question. The Nebraska unicameral is one of my favorite topics. Um, and, I, and I think the lessons I've learned here really are things that are lessons that I can take to Washington and a way of working that I hope to bring to Washington. So our uh, legislature is unique in a couple of different ways. First is we have only one house. Um, we have a legislature, not a House and a Senate. Um, so there are 49 of us who have to work together to solve our state's problems, uh, which I think really helps with relationship building. If there are only 49 of us, 
it's easier to get to know one another. It's also harder to rebuild bridges if um, if you make missteps, and that's on our minds a lot. That's a really good um, point. The second way. Yeah, you don't, you don't, yeah. don't often think about that, which is uh, um, it's sort of you're, there's a there's a, a encouragement for good behavior, but there's also a punishment for bad behavior. <laughs> well, it, you know, like when that. you have a house of, of a, a body of 49 people and you're looking for that 25th vote to pass a bill or that 33rd vote to overcome um, a cloture motion, you 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 have to protect and preserve the relationships and the friendships that you have. Those become even more important. Um, the other way that the Nebraska unicameral is unique is that we are a nonpartisan body. So we are not elected on a um, political party ticket. Uh, that's not listed on the ballot. The the people who get the most votes advance, and then the the overall vote winner, of course, serves. Um, we also do not caucus or um, elect leadership by party. Um, we elect leadership by a secret ballot, um, which I believe helps contribute to the goal of making sure the best person for the job gets the job. Um, so there's there's a real spirit of partnership in Nebraska. That's not to say that um, political parties or political philosophies don't have a role to play in our system. Uh, they're they're simply not embedded in the structure in the same way they are in other states. So let's uh, just just because I think I want to dive in for a second. In terms of in normal legislatures, everyone goes with you walk in, everyone says hello, and then the two parties split up and elect their leadership. In yours, uh, it's a secret ballot. Are people ever surprised by uh, the votes for leadership? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I think one of the things about a leadership election that's handled in that way is that um, it's really incumbent upon the person running for a leadership position to spend time with his or her colleagues in the interim and sit down to make sure, sit down with people to make sure that they understand what the issues are in any individual committee or in any, any individual role and address any needs or concerns. So, um, I think it reinforces relationship building because uh, you kind of have to do that one-on-one versus having a caucus structure or a party whip do that work for you. Wow, interesting. I mean, because, yeah, you're, you're campaigning right now to go to Congress where um, leadership can just hold up the entire national agenda, depending on um, depending on whether they like it or not. Um, you can imagine it would be a very different scenario if uh, if it if leadership was elected by secret ballot in, in Congress. Well, I, I think one of the things that Nebraska voters value is independent-minded leadership. Um, Nebraskans are pretty independent folks, um, pretty self-reliant, um, and people who think for themselves. And so I think that's really one of my opportunities as, um, as a new candidate in this race, that fresh ideas and new vision and people with values and morals and ideas are respected in Nebraska. And I, um, I do think that voters will look at who I am as a person and a candidate and give me a shot. So what, um, t- talk about your path into, into politics. Um, if, uh, where'd you grow up and, and how did you find yourself involved in, in Nebraska politics? 
I grew up on a family farm just southeast of Lincoln, um, went to college in the Lincoln community, and then out of college I did a volunteer program working on uh, child nutrition issues. That's really when the lights came on for me in terms of understanding the connection between personal experiences and political choices and systems. Uh, I, I ended up getting a degree in social work, which I'm very proud of, and I think that personal connection is what inspires me to do the work that I do today. But I never thought that I was going to run for office myself. Um, I thought that I would really stay focused in my career in human services. Um, but what I found, having stepped up and run for office and now taking another turn, is that um, political leadership done right, done well, done the way I want to do it, um, really is human service. As long as you keep people at the heart of your um, political ideology, I think you're probably doing it right. And you've been in the legislature for eight years. Talk about some of the work that you've done there that, that you're proudest of. Uh, I'm going into my eighth and final year in the Nebraska Unit Cameral. I've spent um, all of my my years here in the legislature serving on our Appropriations Committee. Uh, that has taught me not only a lot about the depth and breadth of government, but also um, what it means to compromise and be diplomatic while also protecting and advocating for priorities. Um, the state budget is complex and interconnected and putting together a product that you're proud of and that gains bipartisan support is no easy task. I'm really lucky that I've had some wonderful partners on both sides of, of the aisle to um, get that job done. And we, we've gotten through some tough times, which I'm proud of, because we've protected the things that are most important to Nebraskans, even during the tough times. Um, we've protected um, healthcare providers and higher education, even when things weren't easy. Uh, but we've also been able to make some strategic investments uh, that I think serve the state um, that we, as all Nebraskans, can be proud of. For example, um, one of the major investments we made um, during my first biennium budget was to make a state contribution to uh, a new cancer center in partnership with the University of Nebraska-Omaha. And we are now able to walk through that cancer center and the um, Nebraskans helped by that investment, and um, that that feels good. And I know it is something that the people of this state support as well. Um, we've also been able to invest through the state budget in property tax relief, which, if you talk to Nebraskans outside the city centers, is the number one issue. And while we still need to do a lot of work to um, address that issue. Um, being able to contribute through the state budget process to relieving some pressure on, on farmers and ranchers is great. Um, on a non-budget side, there there are two bills that I think are my favorite bills. One is we were able to establish a new scholarship program for folks who are interested in pursuing career education. Uh, it's called the Gap Tuition Assistance Program, and that program helps people who are interested in pursuing a certification or credential related to a career path that does not lead to an associate's degree. So there was a gap in access to scholarship assistance that was filled by our legislative initiative. The other piece of legislation that I'll always consider a favorite is we uh, passed a few years ago the Enable Savings Program which allows 
um, people with disabilities to establish tax-free savings accounts that don't negatively impact their eligibility for Medicaid and being able to help that population um, really really connects to my, my social work roots and the work that I do outside the legislature um, serving people with disabilities. So I'm particularly proud of that one. You know, we're watching at the national level this real uh, debate around the importance of having your values and not compromising. Um, several times you've talked about how you're really driven by your values and uh, but also are willing to seek compromise. Is Can you give us an example mm -hmm. of of when you've tried to balance them or, or find that right equation that works for your both both your values and for the agenda you're mm -hmm. trying to pursue? I, I think it's a great question and observation. I think one way to to manage that is to step back and think about how the policies you're working on are impacting the people that you serve. Um, while people may have different value structures, um, we all serve a constituency. And so um, there might be a tension between uh, public expenditures and access to health care at the end of the day. Um, how does that impact the people that you serve? And so I think that's a nice North Star, um, whether whether you have a different political ideology or not. I think one of the challenges um, that comes to mind when you ask that question is balancing um, the need for property tax relief and the desire for um, fiscal responsibility with demands in healthcare and healthcare expenditures within a state budget. Um, the cost of healthcare is growing for all of us, um, including those who receive um, healthcare through public means. And so we've really had to stand our ground or um, maintain our, our values of serving people's health in terms of making sure that we're adequately funding healthcare providers to do the work that they need to do to care for our friends and neighbors. Um, and we've we've had to talk about that in some in the context of some pretty tense <laughs> priorities. Um, but I think in some ways it's just reminding people um, of the practicalities of state budgeting while also um, kind of circling back to the real reason we're all here, which is the people we serve. For your for your campaign, how do you take on? a well-funded incumbent um, uh, in order to, to bring the voice of the people to Washington, D.C.? That's a great question. Um, one of the things that I think um, the current congressman is not doing as well as he should be is communicating with and being present in the communities here in Nebraska. So I think it's really important to start with um, showing up and listening to what people have to say. Um, but I also think it's important to recognize um, in this particular race all the things that have changed over the past decade. Um, as an incumbent, uh, Congressman Fortenberry has served this district um, for 14 years. And over that time, we've seen a significant number of independent voters um, grow in our congressional district. We've seen um, 
a, a more engaged and rapidly growing set of Democratic voters. And so I, I think part of uh, thinking about how to run and win a race against an incumbent has to do with stepping forward and being willing to serve, but also recognizing some of the things that are different from and some of the perspectives of people that are different from when um, Congressman Fortenberry first got elected. A specific example of that is that Congressman Fortenberry has consistently voted against access to health care, um, has voted against the Affordable Care Act and against um, uh, coverage for pre- people with pre-existing conditions. Um, in contrast to that, we had a ballot initiative here in Nebraska in 2018 um, to expand Medicaid for Nebraskans without health insurance coverage. That ballot initiative won solidly in Congressional District 1. So I think that's an indicator that the that the interests of people are changing. And the more we listen to what people have to say, the more we'll recognize what's not working for Nebraskans in Washington. Absolutely. And one of the things that's not working for Nebraskans in Washington is uh, the current trade wars, I think, um, explain to us, uh, you know, for those of us that are on the coast and we read headlines about trade wars, um, it's interesting in the abstract and it can have specific impacts on an industry here or there. Uh, but talk about what it means for the people in the first district in Nebraska. The Nebraska Farm Bureau released a statement a couple of weeks ago, um, indicating that by their estimates, Nebraska farmers have lost over a billion dollars in revenue over the last year directly connected to the trade war with China. So that is a direct impact on the pocketbooks and wallets of Nebraska farmers right here in Nebraska. It's it's harvest time. Um, Right now should be a time when our Nebraska agriculturalists are celebrating a year's worth of hard work. Getting, getting the corn and bean and beans out of the field and getting ready to take them to market. Um, unfortunately, that hard work is um, compromised by national trade policy. And one of the things that I think needs to happen is that we need to hold this administration more accountable to people in the Midwest and the livelihoods of people in the Midwest. I appreciate that there are reasons that we need to um, address our trade deficit with China. It can't be at the expense or on the backs of Nebraska farmers and ranchers. Um, in fact, last year, and in part in, in part through um, relationships I built with New Deal, I was able to do an exchange trip to China. Um, I took a, a week of unpaid leave from work to go talk with Chinese diplomats about Nebraska corn and beans and help them understand what an important trading partner we do think that they are. So from the perspective as a candidate for Congress, I think one of the things that I would like to do um, as Nebraska's representative in Washington is make sure that the people in the administration who are uh, making the choices about trade policies that are hurting Nebraska farmers hear from me and understand um, that that we simply can't bear these burdens um, out here in ag country. Absolutely. And I imagine there's secondary and tertiary impacts of uh, it's not just the individual farmer must be 
the banks and the restaurants and the equipment dealers. It, it's one of those things that, uh, that, that trickles down to everyone, I would imagine. Sure, it's not just farmers. It's it's absolutely Main Street. It's everything from the, um, you know, the the seed companies to the local restaurants. Um, everybody's feeling the pinch. And from so so when you talk to voters in your district, and particularly farmers or or adjacent industries, what are they looking for um, in trade policy that will um, that will help reset uh, the some of the um, some of the impacts that they're feeling now, um, and move you know move them on to to more prosperous times. Mm-hmm. Uh, first and foremost, I think that um, Nebraska farmers are looking for negotiating, not begging. Um, the the subsidies that have come um, as as a payout in in response to the trade war um, are neither lucrative for our farmers nor the way that they want to do business. So I, I think the first thing is to, to recognize that, that the um, status quo isn't working even even if there is a recognition that there are government payments that are trying to um, trying to put a band-aid on the issue. I think the other thing to, to remember is that these markets, the markets that have been developed in in China and Japan and our other trade markets, they are mostly developed through the hard work of our agricultural producers. Um, it's the you know the soybean board and and the, the the leaders in our agricultural community who take the time and build the relationships, um, you know, in partnership with government representatives. But the the ag industry really leads the development of those those partnerships across the world. And so I think one thing that is an important takeaway is to protect the work that they've already done, look to them to take the the lead in terms of um, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable, um, and make sure that the next steps are not punitive, um, but rather have a different political philosophy um, rather than um, punishing a partner that we have been trying to build a relationship with over time. We, we trust that relationship and negotiate the changes that are good for the country as a whole. Um, And know that, you know, Nebraska and other Midwestern agricultural interests um, can recognize that that the whole country's interests are at stake here um, and, and, find a diplomatic route rather than a punitive one. That makes sense. Uh, let's hope it happens sooner rather than later for, for, for everyone uh, who's being impacted in terms of okay. y- your district right now. And then um, the, the, the congressional district you're running for has both urban and suburban and rural uh, parts to it. There's a lot of, you know, red and blue maps and, people talking about the divisions, what do you see in terms of uh, the similarities and the differences in the, in these diff- different communities you represent? Mm-hmm. I see a lot more similarities than I see differences. At the end of the day, I think Nebraskans want to be able to afford the health care that they need to keep their families healthy. I think that they want good jobs and jobs for their kids close to home. Um, and I think 
Nebraskans, urban and rural, understand that a large portion of our economy is driven by agriculture and agribusiness. So I, I don't think that the average Nebraskan spends a lot of time thinking about red or blue maps. Um, they certainly spend more time thinking about the way that those um, national decisions impact their day-to-day lives. So, um, you know, I think I think one of the things that is important to do, not only um, one of the things that is important to do in representing a um, diverse district is to focus on priorities and focus on the future. So healthcare is certainly a priority. Um, it may even be more of a priority in rural communities because there's more limited access. But I think something we don't do enough um, when we get caught up in partisan politics is take the long view and look towards the future. Um, and that's really where New Deal leaders have inspired me um, to be a thoughtful legislator. Um, we have an opportunity to think about how to compete in a global economy. Um, and it's important. It's an important moment in time to think about um, what skills Nebraskans need to build for the future, what businesses and industries we need to support into the future um, to make sure our, our state can succeed and compete. So when you start talking to Nebraskans about building a bioscience industry or um, talking to Nebraskans about global manufacturing and the future of manufacturing and talking to Nebraskans about um, how we can train our workers to enjoy the good life right here in Nebraska while um, while making earning a good living um, by working with global markets and um, competing nationally by being the best in the world in the industries that we invest in as a state. Um, you've moved past political divides and moved towards talking about prosperity for our communities. That makes a lot of sense. Coming back to it, you mentioned a couple of times healthcare, and it it's really uh, seems to be a, a passion of yours in the legislature and one of the driving forces in your campaign. Um, what do you see that needs to be fixed about our healthcare system for both urban and rural, and just your average family uh, in Nebraska and other places um, with how we currently provide healthcare? Sure. One one major issue I'd like to talk about is the cost of prescription drugs. Um, I think we all um, have some experience with, with going to the pharmacy and um, being surprised at the amount that we have to pay for the medication that we need to feel, be- feel better or to stay healthy or to stay alive. Um, one issue that I've been working on here at, in the Nebraska Unicameral is the cost of insulin um, for people with diabetes. The cost of insulin has increased exponentially over time, and we're working on legislation to cap the cost of copays for this life-saving medication. Um, I think that that idea and philosophy can be translated to the federal level as well. I think that um, thinking not about how um, <laughs> how we're going to um, turn the bow of a, the giant ship of healthcare in the country um, 180 degrees, um, but rather what are the discrete pain points of people um, that we can address from um, improved federal policy. And I think that same sort of principle, limiting out-of-pocket costs um, or uh, talking about 
using the Medicaid system to um, prevent healthcare companies from um, over uh, charging people for their medications, uh, making sure that we're providing oversight of the insurance industry, all of those pieces, um, I think, can help us get where where our voters want us to go. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I think uh, breaking it up into s- small workable pieces that impact people's lives um, seems to make a lot of sense uh, to get both quick results and hopefully build some momentum um, That's right. to, to, to addressing a, a very complicated issue. Uh, so tell me, uh, how, how's the campaign going? Uh, you've, you only recently announced and, uh, it's, uh, it's a major undertaking. How are, how are you, first of all, how are you doing as a person? Second, how's the campaign going? Uh, it's been, it's been great. I think, uh, Nebraskans are, are hungry for a choice. Um, I think, Americans are interested in new voices and um, are tired of the, the status quo. So, um, as a as a candidate running against a, a multi year incumbent, I think the reception has been wonderful because uh, it's a time in American politics when people are looking for change. More than that, I've just been um, I've been so touched by how encouraging and supportive and kind Nebraskans have been. Um, people have come out of the woodwork to help us get our campaign kicked off. Um, people came out and drove last night for my official campaign kickoff, and I'm so grateful for everyone who did. Um, people understand that part of the work is raising the resources that we need um, to be able to spread our message and be competitive. And um, so that piece has, has gone really well so far, two weeks in. I think the, the best part for me has been all of the encouragement um, and being able to see how willing people are to to step up and support um, support the democratic process, uh, I've had a number of folks say to me, you know, hey, I I usually vote Republican, or hey, I'm an independent, and you need to earn my vote. But no matter what, um, we're inspired by, by the idea that you're willing to step up as a leader and provide us a choice and an alternative in a in a political moment when a lot of people are frustrated with the political bickering that they see in Washington, D.C. So, so far, so good. Good. And um, your congressional district is, is fairly large geographically. How do you cover that much area and have all these conversations uh, with, with Republicans and independents and Democrats and uh, making sure that you're you're bringing their voice to Washington, D.C.? Mm-hmm. It's, it's a great question. I'm fortunate that one of the larger communities in the district is the community that I currently serve as a state senator. So we're, we're starting with some good foundations in the community of Lincoln. The big charge next is to get out to the surrounding areas and um, talk to folks. I think the one of the most important things to me is to make sure that we're reaching out to people who may think differently than I do. So our listening tour will include um, rotary clubs and local newspapers, um, but will also include um, visits to places like local breweries for pipes and politics events so that we're reaching out to all different kinds of people 
listening to what they have to say and building relationships in those communities. That's that's not bad. Uh, building uh, building relationships over a beer is uh, always a <laughs> always a good strategy. I think. I think so. <laughs> um, yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to uh, tell us about about that we all need to know about you or about Nebraska or about this race? I think because I, I have an opportunity here to to talk to more of a national audience than I usually get to talk to, one thing I want to say or express is how much opportunity and potential I see in um, in Midwestern districts like mine. Um, I think that people are hungry for new vision, new leadership, new attitudes, um, and fresh ideas and fresh vision. And to label places like um, eastern Nebraska with traditional red and blue labels, um, I think is a mistake. I think that there is huge potential in communities like mine all across the country um, to support new leaders who, um, who regardless of their political party, um, are willing to refocus on serving the people and protecting our democratic institutions. So I, it is my hope that um, national partners will come to the table, not only for my race, but for other races like mine, and see the potential that we have to uh, make our country better by partnering with communities that um, that are looking for change. I think that is uh, that is a great message and a and a great message to end on because, um, yeah, as I talk to leaders across the country and um, Margaret Mead who's running for Congress down in Florida, uh, your Lincoln mayor, uh, your new Lincoln mayor, Lauren Gaylor Baird, uh, it's it's evident that there's just so much talent um, and thoughtfulness and a commitment to doing right by their communities in the country. Um, that paying attention to these these parts of the country and these races is really one of the best things you can do if you're frustrated with what's going on with the status quo in Washington. Exactly. <laughs> so everyone, take heed uh, and uh, and support Kate Bowles as she makes this run uh, to try to bring um, some function back to back to Washington and to bring you know real values. Uh, uh, her community's values and, in fact, America's values back to back to Washington D.C. Kate, thank you for joining us today. It's been an honor to talk to you. Thanks so much for having me. Good luck. Thank you. Thanks for listening to an honorable profession. Please subscribe to hear more amazing leaders and keep asking your elected officials to be honorable. Boots Row Group produces podcast. I'm Ryan Coonerty, and because we're keeping things honorable, no tax dollars were used in the making of this podcast.